Okay, right down here in the front, we need some notes. First Peter chapter 3. Now last week, we talked to our ladies from the Scriptures. Uh, actually, the Word of God did in the context. Verses 1 through 6 here were about wives and, a, and about the meek and quiet spirit. And we dealt with all of the aspects of this in verses 1 through 6. Tonight, we see the word likewise again, and that was our tie to chapter 2 as we go into verse 7. And so we're looking tonight, verse number 7, and we're going to try to go through verse number 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we see this in verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And tonight we're going to take our text there from verse number seven. And that phrase, as being heirs together of the grace of life. And let's pray. Father, would you bless down this passage tonight in these minutes that our hearts would be in tune with your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would go before and speak to us in a special way. Help us to treat each other as Jesus would treat each other. And I pray that you would bless us now. We ask it in your name. Amen. So we got to verse number six and we said that Sarah even called Abraham Lord and talked about the the context of that, and, and then we get to this likewise in verse number seven. Now, this likewise ties the wife part, the first six verses, to the servant part from chapter two. And so we're dealing with uh, these oppressed people, many of them who had been scattered abroad throughout the entire Roman Empire, and Peter's writing this general epistle to these Saints, Jews and Gentiles who are scattered abroad under oppression, many of them working, working in Roman households with people who dislike them, and, and then we've got wives and now husbands. And so that's what our likewise ties us to. So we begin by saying this in your notes tonight. A husband should never treat his wife with neglect or contempt, but willingly bear her burdens. Let's look at the wording again there in verse 7. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, when it talks about knowledge here, and this is sometimes a passage you think, well, what does that mean? To dwell with them according to knowledge. Because most people, I think, in the human race understand that it's probably easier to get to know men and their emotional makeup than it is ladies. That's generally speaking, okay? We talked about that last week. 
I think what it's referring to, if you go back up in the passage, look if you would in verse number 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Okay, so ladies are to have this meek and quiet spirit. We said last week that all Christians should have a meek and quiet spirit. It just means that they don't stir up trouble and that they bring peace to trouble that's already been stirred up. Okay? For after this manner in the old times, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. So they were known the most for the grace in their lives. They were known the most for the way that God was speaking through them. And then we get to this verse at the end of it, being in subjection unto their own husbands, and we talked about that. Now I want you to see in verse 7 the tie-in. We, we go from the Spirit, we go from the grace that a lady shows, and in verse 7, look why. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Okay, now once again, I said this last week, don't throw anything at me. God wrote this, okay? If you're part of the equal rights movement and you don't want to be called the weaker vessel, then take it up with God, okay? It's the way he did it. That's the way he said it. And uh, this knowledge is re referring to husbands, know when your wife is overwhelmed. Know when your wife is burdened. Know when your wife can't take anymore. Okay, those are good things to know. Those are really good things to know. Some guys, instead of knowing it, though, they ignore it. Okay, instead of getting to know it, they just push it away and they go out and have fun with their buddies instead of giving honor unto the wife as a weaker vessel. And this knowledge is big. Um, sometimes, uh, as outsiders, you see people in your life and uh, you may even be going in, in the car on the way home from a church service or a party or somebody's house, and you may just, husband and wife, talking to each other, and say something like, I wonder if he knows that his wife is overwhelmed. You know, that's a conversation that I've actually had with my wife before. And or maybe my wife will say to me, I wonder if he knows that his wife is about to have a nervous breakdown. Okay? And a lot of times, you know what? He doesn't know. He's oblivious, okay? It's kind of like people who have bad body odor and everybody knows it but them, right? And it's like one of those verses where you say, could you please take knowledge of this? Now, we go into our, our junior high wing of the school, and I guarantee you 10 times a year you walk into a room and say, okay, let's have a check. How many wore deodorant today? No, you did not because you put their, they put their hand up and you can tell, all right? You're going into those middle school rooms, you're taking your life into your own hands. And yeah, God bless those teachers every day. But sometimes we don't know things because we don't want to know things. You know what Paul said? He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So he said, I'm going to make an effort to know something here. And if you don't make an effort to know what a woman needs, then you're probably going to be oblivious to those needs. Okay, so now we've been married for almost 21 years, 
I promise you, I'm still learning. Okay, how many of you men would second that? Yeah, we're just still learning. And that doesn't mean that women are complex, that, well, that they're hard to know. Yeah, they're not. Um, We just sometimes don't make the effort to know it. We don't make the effort to understand how to please them. And, And over time, that's what we should focus on. So dwell with them according to knowledge. And that's how we give them honor. We said last week that with men, one of their biggest needs is honor. It's to be admired. Now, when you give honor to a wife, it's a different emotional twist on this. Because the word honor for a wife, for a woman, normally refers to affection rather than admiration. So she feels honored, not when she's admired, but when she receives affection and security, she feels honored. And and so reading through this passage even, we begin to see the roles that God had made for the husband and the wife. So give honor to the wife as in the weaker vessel, and then as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, I want you to notice something about this weaker vessel thing. Okay, how many remember back in English class, they taught you um, that when you compare words, that there are three categories, and see if you guys can help me out what they were, all right? Just take an adjective, good, okay, that's one category, better, it's another category, best, that's another category, all right? So the first one, anybody know what it's called? The first level where you're just saying something, it's an adjective. All right, I'll give you the the better, that's called comparative. Okay, that's where you're comparing two things. Okay, two. Best, that's called superlative. That's when you're comparing three or more things. Does anybody remember the first one now? Good. What is it? Singular? That could be, yeah. Singular? I'm asking you because I don't remember what it is. I have no idea. It's something comparative, superlative. I remember that much. So if somebody remembers it later, you tell me, right? I figured that Sharice would have this one for me. She'd have this one figured out for me. So good, better, best. So we know that when we compare two things, what do we put at the end of the word? ER, right? Put ER. Say, he is healthier than his friend, right? Um, he is lazier than his neighbor. Okay, we're comparing two things. Okay, now let's look at this verse again. Look what it says. Verse 7. As unto the weaker vessel. Okay, now here's what this means. They're both weak. They're both weak. The woman is just the weaker vessel. God made her emotionally where she is just the weaker vessel. So we explain it in your notes this way. Both husband and wife are weak. But God reveals that the woman is weaker. Though both are heirs of the grace of life. Okay, so this is a general statement in the general epistle of 1 Peter. So we're both weak. But God is the one who says that the wife needs more honor. She needs more affection. She needs more care 
because she is prone to be the weaker vessel. Okay? Then we get into this phrase as being heirs together of the grace of life. And we find now that God wants this to be a team project. Okay, this isn't just a system of roles that we live by to make it in life. Okay, when the Bible says in honor preferring one another for all Christians. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Okay, so this is for both sides of the equation. It's for both people in a relationship. And, it, and that's what this word finally means. Now look at verse number 8. And the word finally. Okay, so we've had a likewise, a likewise, and a finally. Okay, so if you're keeping notes on those interjections there, that's what this is. Likewise, likewise, finally. So here's what he's saying. He's putting everything together now from chapters 2 and 3. The way that we're supposed to act in all of our roles, whether we're a servant, whether we're a wife, whether we're a husband, whether we're a friend, whether we're a neighbor, whoever we are, finally, be all of one mind. Having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Right? Now when it speaks about loving brethren here, look over at 1 John, a couple pages to your right. 1 John chapter 3. And look at verse number 18. 1 John 3.18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And when we love as brethren, we love with our actions. Okay, not just our words. That's what it means. Be pitiful. Okay, now we use the word pitiful a little bit differently in modern English. But pitiful means to take pity on each other. To have a knowledge of the needs of other people and to take pity on those needs. Be pitiful, be courteous. These are things that all of us do in our roles within the body of Christ. And we said last week that there's a caution and there's an instruction to wives in this passage who have unbelieving husbands. And how their lifestyle affects that relationship. Now, Peter didn't go on and talk about unbelieving wives in this passage, but it is talked about over in 1 Corinthians. And so the principle goes both directions. If you have within your relationship a spouse that is not seeking to have a relationship with God, your lifestyle can help dr drastically to make that work. Okay, and so God gives that instruction for us here. But men, because they're to be the leaders in the home, aren't given that same instruction. We're all given the instruction to treat each other properly. We say this in your notes. And uh, this is at the end of verse 7, and I, I didn't mention this phrase. We say it in your notes. Spouses who do not honor each other as God intends can expect to have their prayers hindered. Okay, look at the end of verse 7. It says that your prayers be not hindered. Now what is this following? It's following as being heirs to the, together of the grace of life. So the way that we treat each other in God's grace is the way we seek to be treated by God. Okay, so if our love is a 1 Corinthians 13 love for each other, 
we can expect God's blessings with that same type of treatment for us. Now, God's love for us, we know this, is not based on our actions. It's not based on our merits. It's not based on anything we do. Okay? Yeah, God does not care about us because of what we do. He cares about us because of who He is. He is love. And we get that. So it's not quite the same as earthly relationships, but there is a correlation here. And there's a lot of folks whose prayers never get answered because they don't have the right relationship at home. They don't have the right relationship in their own family. Here's what we say next. You know, it's when you try to see things from another person's viewpoint, you are exercising compassion and attempting unity. Okay? Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Do you know that even if you're not going to agree with somebody, you can still hear them out? Even if you're not going to go the route that they want to go, you could still try to see it from their viewpoint? Here's where a lot of relationship problems come from. Both parties in the relationship do not feel valued. They don't feel like their opinion matters. They don't feel like what they say even counts. And when that happens, communication shuts down. Because why would she want to give you her opinions if you're not even going to hear what they are? Why would he give you his dreams and his goals if you're just going to shoot them down? So there's a lot to be said here in verse number 8 with the way that we treat each other, the way that we speak to each other. And uh, this gets us to all the levels of communication because we try to see things from another person's viewpoint. Now, it is a challenge, I promise you, for any man to step inside a woman's shoes and to try to understand how she thinks. That's a challenge, right? And I've told you this before, because men, we compartmentalize, okay? And we can do this, most men, generally speaking, compartmentalize very well, where we can wake up in the morning and pull out our work box, okay? And now we're in the work compartment, and we go to work for the whole day, and we don't really think about anything else except work. And then we clock out, and we go home, we put the work box back in, and it takes a little while, but we get the family box out after we sit in the recliner for a while. And we get the husband box out, or whatever it is. And then we get the food box out. And Bill, you know, the, the largest box that any man has is his nothing box. Now, Bill's got the t-shirt that said, what does it say? Don't bother me, I'm, I'm in my nothing box, right? Because men compartmentalize. And, and ladies, it's difficult for you to understand because sometimes you say to a man, what are you thinking about? Nothing. No, really, what are you thinking about? I don't think about anything. That's why I'm sitting here watching TV and looking like a zombie because I'm actually thinking about nothing. That is the way that men are renewed, Right? They think about nothing. They sit in that box and think about nothing. Now, ladies don't get this at all because their brains are not compartmentalized. Okay? Ladies' brains are like a big mass of Italian spaghetti noodles. Okay? And it is just totally all mixed together. And if you touch one noodle, 
you are touching something way over here. And so she's at work, but she's not at work because she's thinking about how Uncle Larry did this and Aunt Bye had that happen. And then there was a, the car and, and she's all over the place. Now, this is generally speaking, all right? So ladies, don't get mad at me. But it's why when I wake up in the morning, probably three days a week, the first thing that I'm blessed to hear about are my wife's dreams. Right? Yeah, I just, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm in, at my time, in that time of the morning, I am in what is called my survival and listening box. Right? I'm just, uh-huh, uh-huh. And sometimes I don't even say uh-huh. Sometimes I just nod a little bit. Okay? And she's telling me the dream. And I'm telling you, I don't know how that happens, but she has the most convoluted dreams in the history of mankind. And they're all attached, like a noodle here could circle the earth. It, it's going crazy. And, and she, she says, I'm really upset with you this morning. She says this to me last week. I said, well, why? She said, I had a dream that you yelled at me. I don't really know how to respond to that. I mean... I didn't really yell at you. So, so sometimes you just listen. And then she tells you the rest of the dream. And it's some friend that she met six years ago who showed up at a, a real estate show. or I mean, you never know where it's going. It's just all over the place. It's spaghetti, people. That's what I'm telling you. So because we're different, sometimes we have to step in each other's shoes to try to look from that viewpoint and see what somebody's seeing. Okay, How many understand that any time we have problems in our relationships, that we all have a slice of the pie? Okay, When you take the blame pie, everybody's got a slice. There's, there's hardly ever any blame pie where the, somebody in the relationship has the 0% piece. Right? Now, some people have the Weight Watchers piece, just a little sliver. Some people have the big piece, but there's always a piece for us. And what God wants us to do is not try to figure out what the other person's piece is. He wants us to try to figure out what our piece is. The way to move forward in your relationships is not to fix the person next to you. It's to figure out in verse 8 how you can change your part. And be who God wants you to be. And so there's this angle of how we talk to each other, how we get to know each other. Here's what we say about the grace of life. The grace of life helps us to give back blessings to those that have offered us evil. That's what verse 9 is all about. Not rendering evil for evil. That is our natural reaction. Okay, You jab me, I jab you back. Okay, you say something derogatory to me, I say something derogatory back. Well, we've just gone through in chapter 2 this model of who Jesus was, that when he was reviled, he answered not again. And so now we're trying to use this model in a practical way, Peter is, in our relationships. And so, contrary-wise, blessing. And when we offer blessings to those who have tried to give us evil, it in turn gives us blessing. Look at the end of verse 9. That ye should inherit a blessing. So here's what he's saying. 
when you give out blessings, you're going to get blessings back. Okay? If you live in a reactionary way and you just try to give back in a negative way what somebody's given you, then you are setting the stage to be treated poorly. And so God wants us to give blessings to each other. Verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days. It means if we really want to enjoy life, you want your life to be good. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. We say it this way in your notes. If you want your life to be good, don't purposely involve yourself in conflicts that will make this life a burden. Okay, now you've got to have conflicts, but the Bible gives us strict warnings in Proverbs that woe unto him that inserts himself into his neighbor's affairs. Right? I'm paraphrasing. And you know what the Bible says it's like? It's like going and taking an angry dog by the neck and saying, hey, I just want to be a part of this. Right? Have you ever have you ever seen a real dog fight going on? Have you ever seen like a dog going at it? Like big, big. Yeah. That is probably not the time to just walk in there and say, hey little rover, come here. Is it? You're gonna lose a hand. You get some of those mastiffs or those bulldogs going at it, that's not a time to insert yourself. But you know what a fool does? A fool speaks his mind and inserts himself into other people's conflicts. Right? He makes it worse for everybody. And so Peter's just following this train of Scripture that comes from Proverbs by saying, look, if you want to have a good life, keep your nose out of other people's business. If you want to have a good life, don't insert yourself into the conflicts of other relationships. And you've got to be careful with this. It's, it's so hard, but... Even as your kids grow older, and they start to have relationships with other people, um, whether it's male or female, husband, wife, friend at work, whatever, you have to be careful that you don't buy in to their relationship problems. Because if you do, you can involve yourself in a matter that will wound your spirit. And so you've got to learn how to give advice, to pray, to befriend, but not to choose sides even when it's your own kid. And that's a hard thing to do, right? And sometimes you just have to look at your own kid and say, it's your fault. Now that's not fun to do, is it? Because you, the way we grow up with the American dream, we always want our kid to win, right? And if they're at the sporting event, if they're at the t-ball and they miss it, it's the t-ball pitcher's fault. Right? Literally. That's, that's how bad it is at sporting events. They set the ball on the tee wrong. That's why my little Johnny struck out. Mm-hmm. Sure. He's going to be the next Babe Ruth. Right? And it's always somebody else's fault in our society. And so what we do is when we buy into that, our kids know that they can come and run to us to solve all of their life conflicts and all of their problems and when we do it for them, they never learn how to solve their own. And we end up being in the middle of a lot of messes. And so the Bible is trying to give us, hey, 
You want the good life? Here's how you do it, right here. Okay, another term here from verse number 11. Let him eschew evil. Okay, eschew. That's not a word that we use in English anymore either. It's not a cashew. Okay, um, let him eschew. It doesn't mean to chew. It means to avoid. So let him avoid evil and do good. Let him seek peace. And then we have another old English word, ensue it. Okay, ensue it. That just means to pursue peace. That's all it's talking about right there. So in your notes, we explain it. To eschew evil means to avoid it, hate it, abstain from the very appearance of it, and have no fellowship with it. Okay, so eschew, it takes all of those words and it puts them into that one context. It brings everything together. It is a very strong form of hating evil. And the Bible has told us many times to hate evil. So it's just telling us again. Verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. And we say this, our Father in heaven desires relationship with us. He sees us with favor through Christ. His children have his ear. His children have his ear. Because we're his kids, he wants to hear what we have to say. He wants to know our needs. He wants to know our burdens. Okay? Now, if some little kid in our neighborhood walks up to our door and says, I want a popsicle, I probably, because hopefully I'm usually a nice guy, am going to try to do my best to get the kid a popsicle. But if Sophie walks up to me and says, Daddy, want popsicle, she's getting a popsicle. Right? Unless she's trying to trick me into not going to bed at night. Then that'd be a different deal. But just about any time she asks for a popsicle, she's going to get a popsicle. Why? She's my kid. Right? And that's the way it is with our relationship with God that sometimes we miss out on. Is, you know, we treat our own kids away because we love them. And God treats us away because He loves us. And so there's this component of relationships in this entire passage that is so huge. It's so big. You know, you ever seen at these same sporting events, I was talking about how parents react. You ever seen somebody at like a second grade baseball game or second grade basketball game and their kid hits a hit or makes a shot and the parent comes unglued with happiness, right? Cheering, so excited. And uh, you've seen the reverse, too. So he misses the shot. Man, he's, the parent is so overwrought, bummed out, whatever word you want to use. They're messed up by it. And, uh, you know, when people bless our children, it blesses us. When people are kind to our kids, well, we love them. We're kind to them. And in fact, it really touches our heart when people are kind to us. So Sophie was sick this week. She got a couple cards. She can't even read them, but she'll look at them. She got some cards, and, and it just blessed us as parents. Do you know when people are mean to your kids, 
Boy, is there anything that can make you mad faster than that? Uh, you just pound people. Like, how dare you call my kid the? How dare you be mean to my kid? How dare you say that to my kid? We can pounce on people pretty quickly who treat our children wrong. You think about God. Remember what he said to Abraham? I will bless them that bless thee. And I will curse him that curseth thee. Why? Because you're my kid. You're my kid. And when other people are nice to you, I like that. And when other people are mean to you, I don't like that. I'm going to pray for Benjamin Netanyahu the next couple of days. You know why? Because he's in the United States to talk to our Congress about some very serious issues with Iran. And uh, we need to continue to bless God's people Israel. We need to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We don't ever want to be people who are mean to God's earthly children, His earthly race. And that principle goes into our spiritual lives. God, He watches out for us. That's what verse 12 is about. Look what it says again. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Now we're not righteous by our own works. We're righteous because of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. His blood covers our sins. His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Here's what it means, this last one. The face of the Lord refers to a demeanor of judgment. God protects His children from lasting harm from the enemy. You ever read the 42nd chapter of Job? It is one of the most powerful, precious chapters in all the Bible. The wager between God and Satan is over. And God says, okay, Satan, we're done with this little mess. You're not going to mess with Job anymore. Give me stuff back. Job, he got double everything he had. And you read through that and he says, well, he had ten more kids. He didn't get double the kids. Oh, yes, he did. He already had ten. And you know what it tells you? The souls of people are incredibly important. Job ended up with 20 children. 20 children. And the way God works in our life is this. If we're His child, He's watching. He's watching. He's watching. And if somebody's going to go after you again and again and again, somebody evil, there comes a point where God says, enough. That's my child. Enough. Get your hands off. That's my child. You know why Jesus had such a tough time on the cross? Because he knew that his father would have to turn his back on that very part of being God. He would not be able to come and rescue his son from the evil of the cross. And that's why there was such a treacherous time for the Godhead as Jesus hung on the cross. But in our lives, we have a God who's watching over us. And so the face of the Lord refers to a demeanor of judgment. The eyes of the Lord are talking about Him looking for the righteous. But the face of the Lord is the face of judgment. And so that's our section from 1 Peter 3 tonight. We've got two more sections in this chapter that we'll look at in coming weeks. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a closing word tonight. Great to see you out. Hope you have a wonderful week.
And ladies, if your husband tonight is just sitting there staring at the wall, he's in his nothing box. Okay? Promise you, it's true. It's a real thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we could be here tonight. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for these instructions from your word that are practical. We thank you that the eyes of the Lord are watching over the children of God. And Lord, we're, we're certainly not perfect. We all have struggles. We all have faults, and yet we're your kids. And we know that you want the best for us and that you have favor for us. And so I pray that you would help us to watch out for each other through prayer, to befriend each other, to have compassion, to be in unity. Bless us in our relationships this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.